Amazing in our very own fellowship, our own family of faith, that there are people who face a persecution at a level that you would never think. Losing friends, losing family, over following Jesus in a very biblical, grace oriented way, rather than a legalistic, almost cult like way. Um, it's a beautiful picture to see this, but. To walk through the tears with Lori and Abe, as I've been able to do and other close friends have done, it has been one that has been a costly commitment, a costly decision. Um, 
we wrap up a series today that I hope has wrapped us up. We wrap up a series of messages not to move on to another series of messages on to another one, but hopefully that we are beginning to see something happen inside of our own hearts and lives that will go way beyond some graphic design, some some theory, some books, some Bible study on the side, that I hope that it is going down deep into our life. There's a lot of metaphors that you could speak of when you speak of salvation in a relationship with Jesus, as Lori has spoken of in that testimonial. A lot of metaphors that the Bible even uses, lost and saved, redeemed, or words and phrases that when you dive into the metaphor behind them, they are beautiful and powerful. But sometimes to our world, to, 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 to a mind outside of scriptures, they don't make sense. So I try not to use them when I'm talking with people about them being far from God and how to be in a relationship with God because those are very Christianized words. And so I try to speak at whatever their culture or their, their, where their worldview is coming from. One of the things we've learned about worldview and understanding culture in working in West Africa is that saved and redeemed again may not communicate as well as some other metaphors. There's one metaphor that we've learned uh, in this West African village and this West African people group that we work with, and it's not so much saved, redeemed, lost, saved, that kind of thing. It's more along a road, a path. It's still a very an agrarian culture uh, in which they live. They live in a very, uh, uh, very much live hand to mouth. They live to survive. They they live, and if they don't have rains or they have too many rains, it's it's such a a feast or famine situation. And the road becomes a very important metaphor. This 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 whole image of the road when you're talking to people about following Jesus, and what you'll do is you talk about taking. The Jesus road. Taking the Jesus path. Going along the road with Jesus and and following His path and and taking His direction in life. Again, these pathways are so narrow and maybe a donkey cart can go through there. Maybe maybe an individual or two might be able to walk through there. And that's it. I mean, but they know the road. They understand that metaphor. That metaphor is not only a, a West African metaphor. That's definitely a biblical metaphor. If you have your Bibles, look at, uh, look at Matthew chapter 7. It's a biblical metaphor because when Jesus was coming to the only individual message that's in Scripture that's recorded of Jesus sharing is the Sermon on the Mount. And in this Sermon on the Mount, He speaks of roads. He speaks of gates. He speaks of pathways. He gives actually at the end of the message, He kind of challenges them, takes them to uh, an understanding to say, hey guys, you've been listening to my message. This message has been stirring. It's been challenging. It's taking your faith from this level to that level. Now, guess what? It's decision time. It's commitment time. It's time to step across the line. It's time to draw the line in the sand. And whether or not you're going to choose, whether or not you're going to go with me, or you're not going to go with me. And so what he does is he launches into a couple of different metaphors. He talks about four warnings. He gives the warning of the gates and the roads, the warning of the two kinds of prophets in verse 15 and 20 through 20 of chapter 7. He talks about two different kinds of disciples in 21 to 23. He talks about two different foundations. He talks about two things. And really what he does is he boils it down. There's a whole lot of things out there, but he boils it down to there's basically two kinds of ways. And he draws that line in the sand and, and he says, listen, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either gathering or you're scattering. 
Let's just kind of boil it down. And, and some people really don't like that. In fact, whenever the church starts talking and using that kind of language is that there's heaven or there's hell. You're for me or you're against me. It kind of get, develops this kind of intolerant mentality. And, and we live in a tolerant society. And I want to say this is one of the, one of the times that the, the gospel, the, the Bible butts up against our culture. Because Jesus really doesn't advocate tolerance. Now, I will say this, he advocates acceptance. And you've got to really understand the difference between those two. Because you might lump them very quickly together because they're almost synonymous with one another, but there, are, there is a difference. A tolerance says this, I'm going to accept you, love you, no matter what, train wreck included. I'm just going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge your values. I'm not going to judge your morals. I'm just going to tolerate you. Now, the problem with that is that leads to an anarchy of values. And I don't care if it's an anarchy on the job or an anarchy in government. You don't want to live in anarchy because it's only a matter of time before that tolerance comes to your front door and you're supposed to just simply put up with it. All right. Acceptance is different. Acceptance actually goes, I think, the higher road and goes even further than tolerance. Acceptance goes so far as to look at a person who's totally different than me, believes different than me, thinks different than me, lives different than me, and I still look at them anyway, and I love them despite it all. But, 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 but I love you so much that I don't want you to derail. I don't want you to train wreck. And if you have morals and values and ethical issues that are truly a train wreck and, and happening, then, then it, how can I say I love you and accept you and tolerate that? I'm really not showing love. I'm sitting there watching you collide with the world, collide with the laws of nature, and for me to just simply tolerate that? That's not right. So Jesus doesn't do that. There are, there are times, yes, he, he eats, he sleeps, he, he, he lives with those who nobody else would live with. He accepts them. But he also takes them further than where they are. That's what acceptance does. It says, I love you who, who you are, but I love you enough not to let you stay there. And so what Jesus does at the end of this powerful, powerful, stirring message of calling them to a higher form of, of commitment, a higher form of living. I mean, it's not just that you didn't kill somebody. It's that you, did you, were you even angry with somebody? That's radical. It's not just that you not commit adultery with somebody. It's, it's that you, you don't even think lustful thoughts towards someone. I mean, he takes it, talk about radical, he takes it to a whole new level in what it means to follow him. And he comes to the end of the message and he gives these warnings. He says, guys, there's two gates. Guys, there's two false prophets. Oh, there's two prophets out there. Guys, there's two disciples out there. Guys, there's two foundations out there. And he gives them all and he lays them all out there for us to decide which one you're going to go, which path you're going to take, where you're going to live. And I think about the metaphor that we'll focus on today and the roads and the gates. And I think about the fork in the road that we're facing right now. Fork in the road that you're facing right now. It's, it, it's commitment day. It's decision day. It's Jesus coming to the end of his message and saying, okay, guys and gals, where are you at? Are you for me or are you against me? Are you taking this road or that road? I love the way the great Yankee catcher used to say it. He said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Take it. You know, well, you're going to have to take a fork, all right? You're going to have to figure out which way you go. When you come to the fork in the road, you're going to have to take it. So what fork are you taking? All right? Take your Bibles. You've got Matthew chapter 7 open. Let's look there at a very quick passage of Scripture uh, and, uh, and then we'll dive into it really quickly. 
Verse 13 says this, enter by the narrow gate. That's the invitation. That's the call. That's the invite. Jesus calls us. He doesn't doesn't leave a lot of ambiguity. He doesn't say, hey, you just choose your path. I'll tolerate it. You can choose this path or this path. It really doesn't matter. He really gives it out there. He says, I want you to choose this gate. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. When you come to this passage, you'll see two outcomes. Of the path that we take and the choices that we make, one leads to destruction, one leads to life. One gives hope, one takes hope. One gives peace, one takes peace. Which path will we take? And will we take the Americanized, domesticated kind of path? Or will we take the more biblical, Christ-modeled path? And yes, I have, in a sense, picked on the American way. I have picked on the American form of Christianity. It's not because I'm anti-American. I'm just anti-our model of the Christian faith. I'm a flag-carrying, a card-carrying, flag-waving American. But the point is, is that just because I'm an American doesn't mean we're doing it the right and biblical way. Two paths that we need to look at and make sure we are on one of those paths, make sure we're on the right path. But the two paths that we get to ponder and think about today is one's the popular path. The popular path is, is, is a path that is, that is out there. It's, it, it's available to choose from. There are many options to choose from in the popular path. There's intellectualism. There's skepticism. There's secularism. There's materialism. All these make up the popular path. There's, there's Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, there's, there's Hinduism, and any other number of isms that you can think of out there. There are lots of options for you to choose from. And many of them promote a tolerance that, hey, we just all love one another or we just put up with one another. So what does the popular way look like? Two, two characteristics of the popular way, if you're writing them down. Number one, the popular way is very inviting. It's very inviting. See, Jesus was speaking of a narrow gate. He also spoke of a wide gate. A wide gate. And that's one of the ones I want you to understand about the wide gate. The wide gate, if you understood the, the, the gates of the first century, they got Turkish gates that, are, that, that, that outline the city of Jerusalem today. But if you go back and you understand the archaeology behind the gates of the first century, is that there was this huge wide gate. It was a part of the defense mechanism of a city. This huge wide gate would have doors that would fling open, and sometimes doors within doors. It was, a, it, was a, it was, again, it was a security buffer, depending on how wide the, the walls were. So these doors would fly open, and when these doors would fly open, what would happen is commerce would begin to move in and move out and move in and move out. See, what happens is this wide gate represents the gate that the camels come through, the livestock comes through, the, the population comes through. It's the most unhindered, most uh, un, uh, uncontrolled. It is kind of like an interstate exchange in America. If you wanted to buy property along an inter, interstate exchange, you'd be buying the most expensive property. It has the highest traffic count. It's the, it's the area where people want to put their businesses. It's the area where people are coming through. It's guaranteed traffic. It's the popular way to go. 
It's the way that everybody goes. Everybody knew Herod's gate, David's gate, Joppa gate, Damascus gate. Everyone knew where those gates were. The thing about Christianity and even all the other isms, I'll say American Christianity, is that we can so dumb it down and we can so Americanize it and we can so domesticate it that we make it so absolutely easy that it becomes popular. It is popular and acceptable to be Christian in America. It's popular and acceptable to go to church. It's even expected in some communities. It's good business practice to find a church, to find a church, to become a part of a church, to be in a church, to just attend the church at least, to have your name associated with the church. It's good business. And my fear is that we have so, in our Joe Cool Christianity, with our cool Christian t-shirts and our cool bands and our our cool look, that we have so made Christianity appealing and relevant. Now again, I'm all for relevance, that we have no longer allowed it to be rooted. And the fear is, is that we might go too far and make it too accessible. Now I'm not saying we don't present it in an appropriate kind of way. That's relevant. I want to be a church that's relevant and rooted. But when relevancy becomes our key thing, we miss it. This is not what He's calling us to. See, He's calling us to a faith that is quite demanding. The easy, the easy way, it's very inviting, it's very popular, it's very relevant, and it's very cool. Now, if you came here to, to Grace Point Church because your friends came here, because it was convenient for you to come here, because you like the service times, because you like the band, because you like what the children are able to do here. That's a great starting point. And I'm, not, I'm saying that's a part of the relevancy factor. And if being relevant helped you get here, great. But if not being rooted and grounded and growing up in Christ is not a part of the picture, we're missing it. If we are not stepping up as a church and saying, listen, we need to become more than just relevant. We need to be rooted and grounded and built up in the faith that then we're missing it as a church, and I apologize for that. Realize that the wide gate is the popular way. It's the way that everyone goes. It's the inviting way. It's also an enticing way, the popular path that we can choose from. It's easy. It's easy. In fact, he even says it's the easy way. We like easy. I like easy. I I don't know about you. I love easy. In fact, when it comes Christmas time and I look at this box and that box, and this box says some assembly required, and this box says no assembly required, guess which one I'm getting? I'm getting this one whether they want that one or not. You know, this one is the one that I want. This is the one I'm going to lean towards. This is the one that, you know, easy is all about it, man. And we like easy. I like the Staples logo. You know, the Staples uh, uh, motto, their marketing scheme. What is it? It's easy. You know, they're, they're the number one big box office company story out there. And I have to think that somehow just the word easy is quite appealing. In fact, it's so appealing that you can go buy a button for $5 and put it on your desk and punch it every now and then and just say easy. That was easy. 
Why is that? Because we like easy. We like easy Jesus. Jesus, easy Jesus sells, all right? If we can find easy Jesus in an easy package, we'll buy it. That's the Jesus I want. Why do you think Jesus at Christmas is so appealing, but Jesus at Easter isn't? Why do you think we can market Jesus meek and mild, laying in a manger, cuddling up and cooing, and that is okay, but somehow Jesus bleeding and dying, we've replaced Jesus bleeding and dying with a bunny. Because Jesus meek and mild sells, but Jesus bleeding and dying doesn't sell. We like easy Jesus, but we don't like dying Jesus. And the Christianity of America is so much enticing and so inviting for us that we could be go in and be religious and accepted in the community and even maybe make some connections in the in the church and this guy can help me or this lady can help me and and it's not about Jesus suffering and dying and calling us to come and die. And I wonder sometimes if we have just totally missed it in our life when we like the Jesus of the blessings, but we don't like Jesus of the cross. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, you would, we would have loved for Jesus to have taken that statement out and said, if you'll follow me, I'll take care of your troubles. I'll fix all your your broken pieces. But I'll tell you right now, if you choose to follow Jesus, unless you take the popular, enticing, and inviting way of following Jesus, which is not a biblical way, at least destruction, it will not be easy for you. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, he starts the message with this, this Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you people who, uh, people insult you, persecute you falsely, and say all falsely, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Not only does Jesus promise persecution and troubles and hard times whenever we follow him, he tops it off by saying, listen, I'm going to even delay your gratification. Your reward won't come. Your reward comes there. You see, we don't do well in America with delayed gratification. Do we? I don't do well with delayed gratification. I don't want to save up my money and then go buy the car. I want the car now. We don't do well with delayed gratification, but Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you follow me. I'll promise you this, trouble and persecution But the inviting way is that it's going to be easy. It's going to be enticing. It's going to be appealing. I'm afraid that the Joel Olstein, that this can be your best life now. And any other best life material out there is a bit scary to me when I read the gospel and I see the life that Jesus lived and the life of his disciples. And I wonder, and I scratch my head sometimes, where are you coming from, dude? And I'll try to pick on him, but I'm just picking on him as a person who sells more Christian books than anybody else and has one of the bigger churches in all of them, the largest church in all of America. Why am I saying that? Because it's easy to go there. 
It's enticing and inviting to go there. And what I'm saying to you today, guys, I wish I could sell you that good package. It would be easy to sell that Jesus. But when I look at the the Jesus of an Olstein, or I see the Jesus of a Bonhoeffer, a man who stood up against the SS in World War II, against his own country's leadership, and he called them out what they were, and he, he, he looked them in the eyes, and in his book, Cost of Discipleship, that's still in publication today, 1930s publication, still being printed today, still being read today. And the most popular theological statement came out of that book. It says this, When Christ calls a man, He bids him, Come and die. Now that's not easy. And that's not popular. And that's not inviting, and that's not enticing. Now we could stop right here and say that's the kind of faith that we want to believe, then we can believe it and we can walk out. And we can find a church that will teach that. Or we can teach the radical path, the radical road, which is the second, the second path that we can ponder today. The Jesus road that we tell people in West Africa, that we must tell people in Northwest Arkansas, is the radical road calls for so much more. Like the way Erwin McManus put it in his book, The Barbarian Way, another book that calls us to a more radical style of living. He says, the point is not that God makes us mentally and emotionally imbalanced, but He makes us passionately and spiritually unbalanced. God steers us in the direction of His kingdom, His purposes, His passions. His desire is not to conform us, but to transform us, not to make us uh, us, uh, compliant, but to make us creative. His intent is never to domesticate us, but to liberate us. And again, if you remember the stories that we've told of Mary of Bethany breaking the jar open, spending all that money, spilling it all out for Jesus, how radical, crazy, stupid, and wasteful that was in the disciples' minds. But Jesus said, it's beautiful to me when you worship me like this. And Stephen, whenever they were picking up stones, he was speaking out words of truth and blessing. The radical way. What does it look like? If the the wide gate is easy, what what does the radical road look like? Well, Number one, it's, it's a sacrificial road. It's, it's a road that, that calls of us and expects of us. He says it's a narrow gate. Again, I, I was in Jerusalem at one point and it was able to go back through some of the, uh, the tales or some of the, uh, uh, the uh, archaeological digs and so forth. And they, they pointed out how gates were designed back then. And they, again, they had the wide gates, the camels walked through, the donkey carts walked through, everybody walked through the gate. It was the main gate. But at night, they would close down those gates. And if you wanted to get into the city at nighttime or in time of battle, you couldn't come through the main big gate. But just to the side of this main big gate might be, if you knew which gate to go to, there might be one narrow gate that you could go through. And you couldn't carry all your wares. You couldn't carry all your goods to sell in the market. You couldn't do that. In fact, you could only fit yourself in this little gate. And as you would walk through there, it would be about as cumbersome as us walking through one of those turnstiles as it is going in, in, in a hotel or something like that. That you kind of trip over yourself and you kind of have to shuffle your feet. It was not a real easy thing to get through. It was not a real pleasant walk. 
Verse 14 says, he warns us, the way is hard. The way is hard. It means you're going to step up and follow Jesus in a biblical manner. It's going to be tough. It means you're going to, you're going to sacrifice in ways that people are going to tell you you're crazy. You're going to sacrifice time, talents, and treasures. In ways that people are going to say, that's just not, that's not sane. You, you're, you're going to show love in ways that, 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 that people will say, hey, you should have given up on that, that bag of trash a long time ago. You're, you're going to be giving away forgiveness in, 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 like, it's, like it's candy. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to give it away. Because that's, that's the radical way, and it's not an easy way, and it's a sacrificial way. You're going to be praying, as Jesus said, you're going to be praying for your enemies. That's tough. Now, pray that God would strike them dead with lightning. I can do that. Praying that God would help them find grace and mercy in their life. That's different. See, that's what happens when we live a radical way. It's a totally different way. We've been introduced to some radical people. Radical examples. I want to introduce you to some more today. Some people that we support, some people that we financially support. They're doing some pretty cool things around the world. John and Rachel, if you'll come up here and join me on the stage. Also, Rona, Robin, if you'll come up here. I want to introduce you to some folks that John and Rachel, John, actually, they're just normal Northwest Arkansans. Rachel, I've, I, I've known from growing up, John was actually worked in uh, at Walmart for a number of years. And uh, as he as he worked there and was living the normal American dream life, began to sense that God was calling he and his family to a place where there's less than 0.01% evangelical believers. And so that's, that's pretty amazing. When I also think about Rona here, and she's getting ready to go to a, to a place to, to South Korea. I can actually name that country because it's not so much a, a hostile environment, but it's actually a place that's, that's, that's inviting of Christians. But actually what she's going to do is she's going to go work with people that are from North Korea. And if you were to look at and understand what happens in North Korea, you don't live there if you're a Christian. It is the number one persecuted place of Christians in the world. Rona's going to be living in South Korea. She's going to be working with displaced refugees, people that are being persecuted for their faith, and she's going to be serving there. And then Robin also is one of our, one of our newer members, and she left, left a job recently working at Warrior Camps where you work for about two years or something like that. And uh, she was there and graduated and all that kind of stuff and was living, again, the American dream as a young 20-year-old. But she's left that job, and she's going to be going to a country for about five months and just living in one of the 1040 window nations and working and, and serving there. And, and it, I just wanted you to get to know them because one of the things I want us to begin to change some of our vernacular around here, so please understand this. We, because of our continued growing work in the 1040 window, a very unreached, hostile security issue area, we're no longer calling people there missionaries. Okay, so we're not going to even use the missionary phrase around here. It's a dirty word. Uh, especially when we have church members going to live in these areas. We're going to call them field representatives. We're not going on mission trips anymore. We're going now on global adventures, all right? And it's, and it's not just merely the changing of the words. It's very strategic and security issues for, for these who live 
in this in this country, uh, in these countries. We're not doing mission projects anymore. We are now doing global development projects. So you help me, and every time I say it, I've told the staff I'm going to give a quarter to every time I slip up and use the word missionary or missions or our mission trips. So I may be our, our offerings may be going up uh, here real soon. John, tell us, give us a picture. You're in a nation where zero point zero one percent are evangelical Christians. I can picture what the climate looks like there. Tell us what it looks like. Yeah, it definitely is a very um, a dark place. Um, a lot of it is the fact that they're just most mostly just no, nominal in their belief. Mm-hmm. They don't believe they are would call themselves, and it, it's linked to their identity of their nation mm-hmm. um, to be Muslim. Mm-hmm. And um, but at the same time, they don't um, the, the idea of them practicing that is is not lived out on a day to day basis. So part of um, the life there is trying to help them to to really see a need for something more than a, a, the equivalent of atheism. That they just don't know, know who God is, or, or even are seeking to know who God is. So it's not that they're not spiritual; it is that they have a mixed bag of spirituality. But Christianity, uh, evangelical Bible teaching, is not one of those that's welcomed. Oh right, right, right. Wow. Okay, Rona, tell us about. You're from. You were born in South Korea. What does, what does a uh, persecution look like for Northern Korea Northern Koreans? Pass your mic on, Danny, if you don't mind. Um, well, the North Korean regime wants to control every aspect of life for South Koreans. And so, um, you know, religious freedom, freedom of thought, dissent isn't really welcome. Um, there's people just struggling to meet their basic needs, getting enough food, um, shelter. Um, and then also you can't think differently than, than what they tell you to think. There's propaganda, brainwashing. They don't know what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, and for those who do dissent, who do... Um, practice underground Christianity, there's prison camps and labor camps. Um, Someone told me once that if you are a Christian in North Korea, you are in a prison camp. And um, torture there is unbelievable. And so the organization I'm working with picks them up along the way, helps them escape, um, helps them find a new life in South Korea, presents the gospel to them. Um, So that's, it's pretty harsh over there. (laughs) Wow, absolutely. Would you pass the mic down? A question I have for you, Robin. You're going for five months. Uh, do you feel like you're making sacrifices? Do you feel like this is a big move for you and sacrificial? Kind of explain that to us, what it looks like for you going over there. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's kind of already started. I'm currently living with uh, two of my friends in Fayetteville just in an extra room in their apartment. So just the sacrifice of moving out of a, a house with a bunch of girls, just having my own space has already been a sacrifice. I kind of miss that. But, um, yeah, money i'm raising support so mm-hmm. i sacrificed an income to yeah. um uh to go to the middle east so it's and, not been an easy move you've given up space you've given up income you're in the process of raising funds for this trip to go over and work with architects and engineers to, to work with organizations that that that's your platform but hopefully to as you get into the nation develop those relationships and to bring people and family and friendships and relationships for sure. Um, pretty close with my family, so I'll be missing out on a lot for, for five months. I usually get together with them a absolutely. lot. So. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things is we talk about sacrifice and the reality that, that these families make and uh, to go to these 
places. We're not raising up, unless you think that we're some, raising up some kind of jihadist Christian version. Uh, you know, when you think about Islam, I think about the extremes of, of jihadist people who go and kill. But you know, that is so much based on hate. Um, these people are going willingly motivated by love. And so, Rachel, tell us what love looks like. And do you love the people? And how is it to love people different than you who don't believe like you? What does love look like for you? Well, it's not a natural thing for any of us, I think, if we actually admit it. I mean, we, we're sinful. That, that's to the core of ourselves. And only Christ can change and give us any desire to give away things that we love and that are important to us. So it wasn't a special love for the people in our, um, in our country that initially motivated us. It's just um, the love of Christ compels us, though, what he's offered us and the freedom he's given us. We have everything. We are saturated here. So what? how could we say, oh, well, that is more important. To manage my blessings is more important than um, being able to love on the people that don't have that support. So in our country... Um, they don't have moms and dads praying for them. Mm-hmm. They don't have brothers and sisters or friendships. So the, the people who are Christians, there are about 3,500 out of 72 million people. Mm. So we, um, we live there as a support to them and to just come behind them and pray for them and encourage them daily life and to say we want to support the visions God is giving you for reaching your, your people mm-hmm. there. So now the love of Christ compelled us to be there, but now the love for the believers there keeps us there, keeps wow. us going. That's amazing. It's beautiful. We've talked about sacrifice and how sacrifice is giving up something you love for someone or something you love even more. And so that's beautiful how you're making that transition of your own heart to give up the comforts of America, holidays and so forth. Y'all been over there for two years and all of that for, for people that you're learning to love more and more as you go. Robin, do you love the people you're going to at this point? I mean, do you already have a draw in your heart to them? Yeah, um, a little bit. Through college, I was able to um, make um, friends with the people in the place I'm going to. I don't know how yes. to like, be security. But, um, yeah, I uh, met some international students at my school. And so I think it began there a few uh-huh. years ago um, when I took the perspectives class and started to, like, broaden my vision for the world. Um, and so those friendships, I think, is kind of where it, it began. And it's really neat because... Um, this place that I'm going with has offices all over the world, but the Lord specifically chose to put me in this one place where I'd, you know, years ago had started to develop a love or interest for that, the people and stuff. Good, amazing. Um, A relationship at school matures into this. It was just a seed there, but God has grown it into so much more. Yeah, really cool. Ron, as you go, and you head back um, to the nation that you were born in, um, what motivates you to do that? You're, you're an American. You've been here since two years old. So, uh, so what is that? Why? why? What's your motivation? Um, well, um, I studied abroad in South Korea my sophomore year of college about three years ago. And um, I had grown up in the church, but my faith wasn't living. And I had no desire to know God or do his will or glorify him with my life. Um, my life was just mine. And um, when I studied abroad, I met a Christian community that just pursued the Lord and, and loved others in a way I didn't think was possible. And so that six months abroad changed my life. And I came back um, 
with a calling to global adventures for the rest of my life. Right. And um, he placed a special burden um, on my heart for the North Korean people. And so um, I'm going back there and just getting my foot in the door um, working in South Korea. And um, I look forward to a lifetime of ministry and, and seeing how um, he can love the North Korean people through my life. So. Great. Now, John and Rachel, as y'all get ready to go back, you're going to be like less than a month. You're moving back, taking the kids and everything, going back. And we've been kind of with you, supporting you from the beginning. We want to ramp that up. And as we ramp that up, what are, how can we be a part, more a part of your lives in ministry as you live in this country? I just want to say thank you, first of all, to have the opportunity to be here and just connect with you guys face to face. So many of you do know who we are. And thank you for praying for us. It's a huge thing. It's not just something we say. And um, the financial partnership of uh, Grace Point is just a huge encouragement. And um, we just appreciate you staying with us. So one practical thing you can do today is we have a little table in the back. And if you're not getting our newsletters and updates, like over email or uh, sometimes we do them in the mail, can you just go and leave your name and your um, email specifically? And that way we can keep you updated along the way because we are going to be gone for at least another two years before we're back face-to-face with you. So it's just like... You know, Paul, in the word, he's saying to the places along the way, like, just thanks for remembering me and don't forget me. Don't forget our family and our kids. And, um, and, you know, we just appreciate um, knowing we're not alone because we have the body of Christ here. Anything? Yeah, I would would echo that. The idea of being alone sometimes can get overwhelming. And so knowing that people are behind you. Uh, we definitely feel the prayers and know that God is, um, has been, been with us this past couple of, couple of years. And, um, just really appreciate and would continue to appreciate your prayers and support in that way. Well, absolutely. And it is easy to lose contact. The faces grow dim as, as, as you go away. So we do want to lock in and take that photo, mental photo in our minds and, and keep those emails. And we're going to be more intentional at Grace Point about praying for our field representatives around the world uh, as you are doing global development work there. So uh, thank you for that. And I want to pray for y'all now as y'all prepare to go. Father, I thank you for these who come before us and challenge us to new heights. And Lord, if it's not for all of us to go and to live in foreign lands, and I believe that's true, it's for all of us to be a part of your work globally, praying, giving, supporting, advocating for becoming partners with in so many different ways. And Lord, as these go from our church, whether it's for five months or it's for the rest of their life, Lord, we would just pray that, Lord, we will be with them as they remember us. And as it is lonely over there and as they are developing relationships and it takes so much time. And Lord, we think of the sacrifices they're making. Lord, they're not being greater heroes. They're just being obedient followers. And so, Lord, thank you for them and their example to us. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Give them a a round of applause just in support. You know, as I close today, I want to close with one other sub-point to this radical road of Jesus. It's not only is it a sacrificial road, but I think you heard in John's voice there something that's really big, and that is this, is that it's also a lonely road. It's a lonely road, and Jesus makes a very disturbing statement when He says, 
Few there will be. Few. Those who find this are few. It's not as if it's hidden out there. It's not as if it can't be known. It's not as if God only lets a few know and, and doesn't let the others know. It's just that it's... Few choose it. And unless we go, unless we tell them, few will know of it. I, I, I think of Amy Carmichael and I think of her work in, in India and I think of her life lived for, for Christ in, in, in a nation, excuse me, in China for excuse me, in India for 50 years. Excuse me. And I think about the life that she lived over there and, and, and the, the loneliness of that. She wrote a poem. And this poem has wrecked me. Wrecked me in such a way that I can't get past it. And I'm not a poet. I mean, I, ask Lori, I'm not a poet. I'll beg, still, and borrow from somebody else, but I am not a poet. But I, I tried to memorize this statement one time because it so much wrecked my life. Of a poem that she wrote of her time of serving alone and giving up so much. And she says, Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? No wound? Yet I was wounded by the archer spent, leaned against a tree to die by ravaging beasts that compassed me. I swoon. Hast thou no wound? No scar? No wound? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. Yours is whole. Can, can thou have followed far who hast not wound or scar? See, the life that he calls us to is, is I'm afraid, so much more than we're willing to give. And we put out a challenge last week, and the challenge was we'd pray for the world. That would be our prayer. We, we, we would make the commitment. Everyone in this room would pray for the world. And however it mean, buy the book that tells you Operation World, tells you about the peoples of the world. Get online and be a part of praying for the world. We've got to pray for the world, the unreached people groups of the world. Will you do that? We also put the challenge out there. Would you read through the Word every day? Throw these, uh, guys, throw these up on the screen. These are on the, in the slides. Number two. We mentioned uh, that we'd read through the Bible. Now, you know what? This sounds like a, a large task, especially if you haven't been reading the Bible. And think about reading the Bible through entirety for a year. That's big, and I understand that. So if you need to break it up, read the Old Testament and then read the New Testament, whatever it is. But I just want us to get into the Word and allow the Word to start getting into us because we'll never think the thoughts of Christ until we have them. Until we're chewing on them. Until they're changing us. Start tomorrow morning with me, if you will. If you'll take that challenge. We've asked everybody to consider sacrificing their money for a specific purpose. You know, whether it's giving beyond 10% to your church or it's whatever it is, it's just making your, your resources available. I could tell you some amazing stories, but I can't, don't have time of what God has done in just recent days in our church in this very area 
major to help people around the world. Beautiful things. Number four is that you'd spend time in another context. The challenge would be out there some, somewhere in two, 2011, excuse me, you would find a place in the world and you would go and you would spend there. It could be in South Arkansas. It could be, it could be around the world that you would find that place. And we gave you a list of 11 different places around the world, 12 different places around the world that you could go and surf somewhere in 2011. Will you? Will you make space in your life? Number five is that I will commit my life to a multiplying community. Multiplying my faith, multiplying my church, multiplying my body life group. I'm just going to get the mentality inside of me that I'm going to start reproducing my faith in as many different ways as I can. If I believe in it, God believes in it, I'm going to reproduce it. Put inside your worship guides this week, commitment time, commitment card. And you may be ready to make this commitment. You may have taken the week as I challenged you last week and said, I'm ready to do this. You may not be ready. You may be ready to do three, but not five, or two, but not five. You may be ready to do all five. Listen, if it's not challenging you, if it's easy, it's probably not of God. If it's hard, if it's going to require sacrifice, if if everybody's doing it, it may not be of God. So I want you to take this seriously. And we're just going to sing a beautiful song that many of us know. And you can sing it, you can think about it, you can just listen to it. But this is your time. And if you're at this point and you want to take that commitment card, you say, I, I'm serious about this, Mike. I want to take five or three or two of these commitments. And I want to make it today before God and everybody else. I'm going to sign my name to it and ask God to help me. Then this is also your time. You can come and just lay it at the front. Just lay it on the altar and just lay it at the front. And just pray over it and then get up and go back and be seated. God, you know our hearts. You know what you're asking of us. Help us, Lord, not to make you in our own image. Help us not to develop a Christianity that we like. Help us, Lord, to be in relationship with you that we can't stop praying for you, to you. We can't stop praying for the peoples of the world because you love the peoples of the world. We can't stop being in your word, Lord, because your word is giving life to our life. We can't stop giving because as we give, Lord, you're somehow giving back to us in so many beautiful, powerful ways. We can't stop going, Lord, because you told us to go. Lord, we can't stop multiplying because you told us to make disciples. So, Lord, we're available. I pray that's our prayer anyway. Lord, we're available. Help us to be committed to you like you are to us. In Jesus' name. Thank you.